Awesome. Well, what a good morning it is. And I'm going to invite our friend Peter to come on up. Bless you, Peter, as you share. This is, this is very daunting. This is very daunting being here. Hello. Yoo-hoo. So fun. Great team, eh? Great team. Um, so fun being here. So scary seeing all these faces. Oh, let me just turn off my notifications here. There we go. So scary seeing all of your faces uh, as I stand here and talk to you. Um, but I am so honored to be here. Uh, I was emailed by Kim and Gav in December, and they said, hey, you want to preach? And I said, sure. Uh, I didn't really think about, you know, how doing a sermon, and then, like, next week having, like, five book reports due. Um, and so, fun week ahead of me, really. Um, but here I am, uh, and it is so fun to be following uh, the footsteps of Haley and Soph, as they preached uh, two weeks ago and last week. Uh, fun fact, Haley was on my Omega team. Uh, yeah, what? <laughs> Crazy! Many years ago, we were supposed to go to Brazil, didn't. Uh, that's cool. Um, but uh, it's cool to see how she has grown from her first year to now in so many aspects, um, and it's really a cool testimony of how God works in our lives. And Soph, where are you, Soph? Hey, bud. Uh, good word last week, eh? Uh, we talked about how nervous we were to both preach, and she got it over with, and now I'm getting her over with. Uh, and so, following in their footsteps, I hope I've got my slides there. Whoops, yay. Look, that's my family. That's me in the middle, um, and in front of me are my parents, Anders and Deanna, and they're also here. So on top of preaching to my peers, my friends, my pastors, and my profs, I'm also preaching to my parents. And so it's really just a good mix of uh, people to mess up in front of, you know what I mean? Uh, okay, and then to the left of my dad is Nick. Uh, he's my next oldest brother. He actually did Omega like a million years ago. Not a million, like six or something. Uh, and then next to him is my brother Ben. He's the next oldest. Behind him is his girlfriend Morgan, their dog Murphy. And then on the other side is my brother Johan, his wife Alicia, and their son Lucas, and their dog <clears throat> Gus. <laughs> great, great dogs. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, following in the footsteps of the ladies who preached before me, I'm also preaching in the book of Exodus. Uh, Haley preached on Exodus 1 and 2. Soph preached on Exodus 3 and 4. So, you think I'm pre preaching on Exodus 5 and 6? No, no, Exodus 6 and 7! Because why would you do chapter 5? Actually, chapter 5 is full of good stuff. We're actually going to touch on it a little bit. Um, but it's not where I was asked to preach out of. But, uh, so, we are going to catch up. Talked about, Haley talked about, you know, the beginning of the Exodus Israelites coming to Egypt, they were breeding like rabbits, and the Egyptians got scared, and so they said, what do we do? Well, we've got lots of work to get done. Let's enslave these people. Woohoo! And so they enslaved them, put them to work. So 
If you'll join me at the end of Exodus chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, bring it out, starting in verse 22. Um, I'm reading out of NLT. I really appreciate it when a preacher tells you what they're preaching out of. So NLT is what I'm going on today. Um, Here we go. So verse 22 in chapter 5 reads this. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Crazy bold to say that he's done nothing to rescue them because he's literally God, first of all. Um, But it's true, Pharaoh was pretty brutal to the people. And so the Israelites came, they were enslaved, uh, and early on in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron go and speak to Pharaoh, and they're like, let my people go. And then Pharaoh's like, no. And so he's like, actually, I'm going to make them work harder. And so he told the Egyptian slave drivers, he said, you know what? You were giving them the straw to make their bricks. I guess they were making bricks, and they were putting straw in it to make nice, good bricks. Maybe big bricks, I don't know. Um, And he said, you know what? Actually, make them go and get their own straw now. So they had to go get their own straw, but they still had to make as many bricks. And so... Not a good time for the Israelites. And so Moses was discouraged, and he goes, you know, I've come before Pharaoh, and I talked to him, and now he's more brutal, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Moses was discouraged. We've all been discouraged. Okay, I've been discouraged, you've been discouraged, or you will be discouraged. But, like, come on, who hasn't been discouraged? Am I right? Moses was discouraged because he was too impressed by Pharaoh and not enough impressed by the Lord. The Israelites were uh, sitting in Egypt and they were being enslaved and they had really seen the mighty hand of Pharaoh and how it could impact their lives. And they hadn't necessarily, some of them, seen the mighty hand of God and how it could impact their life. Pharaoh was too big and God was too small. So as we have been discouraged, I know in my life, in my walk with God in my discouragement, my circumstances have seemed too big and God has seemed too small, but God has always been enough in my own circumstances. Into chapter 6, reading verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. The Lord said to Moses, I am Yahweh. The Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. So God revealed himself to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, El Shaddai, God Almighty, but then he revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh. So we've talked about it last week, burning bush, you know, I am, I am who I am. God revealed himself more, and he was continually revealing himself through this story. There's a big difference between a God who makes a covenant and one who fulfills it. God revealed himself to Moses in a way that the patriarchs couldn't understand. What does this say about us? (laughs) Good question, actually. Uh, So, God has revealed himself more and more throughout time. He revealed himself to Moses in a new way compared to how he revealed himself to the patriarchs. And he's revealed himself to us in a new way compared to how he revealed himself to Moses And how is that? 
Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came to the earth, died for our sins, revealed in a whole new way, a new way that we can know God and know his love, know God as a God who isn't just laws, but a God of love. And so, the patriarchs didn't necessarily have a full idea of who God was, uh, and in our discouragement, may I suggest that we don't have a full idea of who God is. We may know God as God Almighty, but we can sometimes forget that he is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God, which is scary to think about. Thinking about like my future, for example, as I've reflected on my four years here at the school, uh, I was called into ministry at 13, and I will touch more on that later, um, but I was like, okay, Bible college it is. And so here I am in my fourth year, graduating in April. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. I know it's rare, graduating in four years. Mm, yeah, fifth years, I see ya. Um, but uh, that's the plan. Um, but I actually have no idea what I'm doing. So I have no idea what I'm going to do come May 1st. So that's pretty cool. Um, daunting. Verse 4. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. God knew his covenant, whoops, God knew his covenant, and he was going to keep his promise. So in the first half, well, the first little section there of chapter 6, God is talking to Moses, and now as we continue on, God will be talking to Moses still, but he's giving him a message to pass on to Israel. Verse 6 says this, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you, rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God uh, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I, uh, whoop, 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 whoop. I'll bring you into the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. God uses these seven I will statements to reveal what he's going to do for the Israelites. Uh, and you'd think the Israelites are like, okay, okay, okay. So God was like, Chilling for a while, we were making bricks, and then we had to make more bricks, and now he's saying that he's going to do all this. That's pretty awesome. So great. But that's not exactly how it goes. In verse 9, it says this. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. What the Israelites desperately needed from God, they weren't willing to receive. They refused to receive it, even though God may have spoken exactly what they needed to hear. And God may present to you exactly what you need to hear, and you may not receive it. I know that I myself, many, many a time, uh, have found myself uh, sitting before God, and it's like, God, tell me, tell me what? Tell me, tell me, Lord. And it's like, okay, 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 you're saying this. I got it. Cool. I'm going to let you take that back, actually. Mull on it a bit more. Develop your thoughts a bit more and get back to me because I don't want to do that right now. It's like, okay, okay. And I find myself in these conversations with God where I'm like, okay, 
you want to give this to me, you're telling me exactly what I need to hear, but I am refusing to receive it. Ah, not, not a good look, really. So I think that in my own life, uh, refusing to receive it has come from discouragement. Um, and whether it's discouragement in like a fear of my own calling, a fear of being ill-equipped, uh, a fear of having to do work. <laughs> I know that I don't like to do work, <laughs> but work is a part of life. Uh, work, correct me if I'm wrong, theologians in the room, but work was before the fall. And so uh, work was definitely a part of life from the beginning. Um, but, and so the discouragement can show itself in many ways, uh, even in like being before God and feeling like God is not speaking to you. It's like, okay, well, that's pretty discouraging. Um, so if, I feel like if God didn't speak to me last time, so why should I try again? Why should I try and have God speak to me again? No bueno. Centuries of enslavement for the Israelites uh, were just, and centuries of enslavement and discouragement made them think think like slaves and act discouraged. Pharaoh had become bigger than God to them. Pharaoh was obviously the person who they had seen the mighty hand, and uh, and it stirred something inside of them, where they wanted to say, "What about Pharaoh?" God was ready to move but the Israelites were still fixed on Pharaoh. But they had to get their eyes off of Pharaoh because Pharaoh was only Pharaoh and could only have so much control, and God is literally God, you know? The ramifications of sin cause us to doubt God and easily keep our distance from him instead of drawing near to him. Sometimes we find ourselves in positions of discouragement uh, where we can even feel like we want God to give up on us because it might be easier. It might be easier if... I don't have to live out my calling because the world tells us that it is easier. (laughs) Uh, But God will continue to fight for us and continue to equip us for the work that he's called us to. Continuing on, verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses. uh, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. God pushed his plan forward. He's like, "Okay, Moses, get back in the driver's seat. We're getting these people out of Egypt. We're going to bring you into the promised land." Moses was like, "No." And God was like, actually, I'm going to make it a command. I command you to let, tell uh, Pharaoh to let the people out of Egypt. Uh, God knew of Moses' perceived inability to speak, and he knew the doubts that Moses had about him, but he still called him. And that's something that I have been thinking about a lot, you know, reflecting on my four years here at college and so on and so forth, and my future, my calling, and all these things. Uh, and knowing that although I have sinned and made many mistakes, uh, my parents are here, they can attest to the many mistakes I've made in my life. (laughs) Uh, Although I've sinned and made many mistakes, and God knew them from the beginning of time, he still chose to call me to ministry. Um, And he has called me just as he has called you. So, a bit of my testimony. Uh, Who, uh, Nanus Bay Camp, 
Can I hear it? <laughs> Yay. Uh, it's a pretty cool camp on the island. If you're ever a pastor around the island of the Lower Mainland, send your students there or else. Um, and so I w- grew up going there, and I was 13 at camp, I think-ish. Oh, I was probably, oh, I don't know, some, sometime around that age. Uh, and I was sitting, I remember where I was, sitting in the chapel on the front right side in front of the sports staff room in some pews that were there. And I remember uh, the feeling in my heart and the thought in my mind. And it was like, okay, I think God is calling me to ministry. As a 13-year-old, I was like, what the heck does that mean? As a 21-year-old, I'm still kind of like, what the heck does that mean? Uh, and it's still a little daunting to think about, but it's cool. Um, And so God, but in that time, God knew me. He knew the sins that I had committed. He knew the sins that I would commit, and yet he still chose to call me to the ministry that he did. And the same can be said for you. God has a calling on your life, whether it's a specific calling. I know a lot of people that are like, I know that I'm supposed to be a lead pastor or a missionary or a counselor or so on and so forth. Go through all the programs. You know how it is. Um... Uh, or maybe it's not such a specific calling like mine where it's like, okay, uh, you're supposed to do ministry. Cool, what does that mean? I don't know. And so you just kind of move forward with it. Or maybe you're like, well, God's cool. I came to Bible college. I feel like I don't necessarily have something where it's like I'm supposed to do this. Uh, But God has still given us a commandment. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you ought to live out the Great Commission. Am I right? So... I'm going to read it out of Matthew, the end of Matthew 28 here. I'm just going to read it off the screen because it's going to be easier to find. Um, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, God knew your struggle and the struggles that you will are still to come, and he knew your sin, and he knows the sin that could still come. But he still chose to call you. Uh, In my life, I've been held back as I've been reflecting on this a lot over the last semester or so. Uh, it's been the shame and guilt that come with sin that the devil's really good at digging it right into you and saying, no, 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 you can't do that because you did this, this, and this. And so how can you be equipped for ministry? How can you be equipped for the expansion of God's kingdom? But it's not true because when Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of all man ever, forever and ever. And so here we go. The next batch of verses uh, is the ancestors of Moses and Aaron. I'm not going to read them. Because there's a lot of names in here that I don't know how to pronounce. And I'm sure that it's a great, great little section. It is a great little section. Read it in my head, not out loud, you know. Um, I read it. Great. Paints you a good story of names in the ancient Near East ancestors, if you can follow along and make a little tree, Um, but I'm going to go to verse 28, so yeah. 
Verse 28, when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? So Moses is saying that he's unworthy to be used. A very familiar little, little chunk of scripture there that the author decided to throw on either side of the ancestors of them. And so maybe it was like, maybe he had this conversation once and the author just wanted to put it in twice. Or maybe he did have it twice because we've had those conversations with God where it's like, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? And then he tells you and you're like, yeah, but this, 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 and this. And he's like, well, still tend you to do that. And then you have the same conversation over and over and over. I find myself at it. I have found myself there more than once. Chapter 7. <laughs> Then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so I will bring down my fist on Egypt." Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. God tells Moses again, get back in the game. Fear struck Moses. He said, I can't speak. I can't do it, God. But it was time for him to get back in the game. So God is telling them, go before Pharaoh again and again. Uh, Egypt had a lot of gods. <laughs> Egypt had a lot of gods. If you did social studies in BC in grade 7, you learned about them. I don't know. Do you learn about Egyptian gods elsewhere in Canada? Nope. Amy says no. Amy says no. Uh, but we learned all about them, you know, million and one, sun, ra, anyone, anyone? Okay. Um, but so Moses was coming before Pharaoh, and he's like, okay, I'm coming on behalf of God. And Pharaoh's like, okay, give me a new story. There's a million and one of those. Uh, and so it's like, why, why would he care if God was, you know, if Moses was here on behalf of God? Pharaoh doesn't know God, but he knows Moses. And so God uses Moses to represent himself before Pharaoh. Uh, the, this idea persists today, and hopefully it's one that you can recognize uh, as being a representative for God, as we are Christ representatives here on earth. Uh, there are lots of people who won't be willing to look in this book to see what God actually says and see what he wants us to do, but they're really willing to look at Christians and see what they're doing. And I think that when Christians aren't living out the word, that's where we find ourselves in a lot of hot water, you know? Uh, and so we ought to live out our lives as God uh, has set out. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul knew that uh, people wouldn't necessarily imitate Christ because they don't necessarily know the word and know what God has set out before them. But he knew that people would see us 
and so people would imitate us. Like, you know when you spend a lot of time with people and <laughs> you do a lot of things that they do? Happens here a lot. Right, right. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, right. It happens a lot, especially here in this little closed bubble of everyone living in the same building, going to the same classes and not really seeing anybody else. Um, <laughs> But it's just a testament of how we follow what the people do around us. And so God was doing something dramatic through Moses in Egypt, and he wanted to show the Egyptians his power, and he was going to use Moses. In the same way, God displays his wonders in our life, and we have testimony in our lives of how God has moved in us, and so we can use that and be the image of Christ in our broken world. The rest of the chapter goes on, and it talks about uh, the miracles that uh, happen, you know, the plagues that happen, Moses throwing down, or Aaron, oh, throwing down the staff before Pharaoh turns into a snake. Also crazy, um, it says that like he threw down the staff and it turned into a snake, and then Pharaoh's magicians also made that happen, which is like crazy to think about that like they were literally actually kind of performing magic. Anyways, but I'm not going to get into these miracles. I'm going to let Christina take that as she talks about the plagues next week. So, oh man, I'm burning through this. Well, here we are, closing, 11.45, early lunch. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with these three thoughts. First of which, reject discouragement and lean into God. Moses faced his discouragement and recognized that God was bigger than Pharaoh. Recognize that God is bigger than your circumstances and bring your burdens to him. Number two, God has called us regardless of our sin. Uh, he knew from the beginning of time that we would sin, that we would make mistakes, uh, and he still called us for his good work and for the work of his kingdom. And finally, three, we are the image bearers of Christ. Uh, as I said earlier, sometimes as we're here on this hill, uh, the only things that we're doing is working on this hill, going to a church and doing other things and then coming back to this hill. Like, scary thought, but it kind of very easily becomes your life here. Uh, we can forget that we're supposed to be image bearers of Christ in our world. And just as Moses was the image of God to Pharaoh, uh, so we ought to be the image of Christ to our world. Whew, burn through that one, eh? Well, I'm going to close in prayer. <laughs> God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are with us. I thank you that uh, you reveal yourself through Scripture. You reveal yourself uh, to the patriarchs, to Moses, and to us, God. Um, I pray that we would recognize your glory and your might. Help us to be good examples of who you are in our world. Help us to be uh, image bearers of you and to honor you in all that we do. We thank you for this day and for this place that we get to be in, God. We pray that we would have a good rest of our afternoon and lunch. Thank you for your love, God. In your name, amen.